0: Our Lord God, you are worthy of worship. We've just sung it to you. We've reminded our souls that you are worthy of worship. God, I pray that we would continue to worship you now as we look into your amazing word, what you've revealed about what is to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, there's Children's Church today. Excellent. So uh, kids aged 4 to 7, as always, at the discretion of your parents, if you'd like for them to go with uh, Miss Denise and Miss Jane back towards that way, uh, you'd be welcome to do that. And we, adults, will continue our sermon series here in the Book of Revelation. Last Sunday, Pastor Josh walked us through Chapter 20, a very difficult passage, uh, theologically difficult, and it talked a lot about hell, so thank you, Pastor Josh, for taking that. I appreciate it. It's nice to have an associate pastor to give those sorts of passages to. (laughs) Today, we're going to see something much better, and and I'm not saying that my sermon's going to be much better than Pastor Josh's, but uh, (laughs) uh, I'm just saying that the topic today is a lot more positive, so... Uh, we're not, not going to do Survivor here and vote one of us off the island, but, uh, <laughs> but we're in the home stretch here of Revelation. For the next four sermons, we're going to look into the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, and that's where we get to see about heaven and what heaven will be like for us. Now, when I say heaven, please understand, it's really the new heavens and the new earth, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, so I'm just going to shorthand that and call that all heaven. Uh, for the next four Sundays. But what we're going to look at is this place of perfection, the place that you will want to be, as opposed to the place that was eternal torment in the lake of fire that we read about last Sunday. You will want to be in heaven with God. Now, the descriptions of eternal life in these two chapters are amazing. They are well worth our time. And it's way better than the caricature out there. I bet if you were to go on the streets of Fergus Falls or anywhere and and ask people about heaven, I bet a lot of people would think in their minds a picture of clouds and harps, right? In fact, I did a, a Google search for images of heaven this week and I got a lot of cartoons about people... In heaven, uh, there was one guy who was trying to figure out how you stand on a cloud. He had kind of fallen through, and the other guy said, you'll get the hang of it, don't worry. Um, There was another guy, they were playing uh, the accordion, and and one guy had this kind of strange look on his face, and he said, well, it's not so bad. In hell, they have to play the bagpipes. (laughs) um, I think a lot of people get caught up on this idea that heaven is just going to be clouds and harps forever. And and there was one more of these... uh, Cartoons that I saw this week where there was one guy he was listening to a, a harp and he kind of had a bummed look on his face and he said I miss stress <laughs> like, is that what heaven's going to be like so boring that we wish that we could just get back on earth and deal with some of the, the mess here instead of just having, having to listen to harp music all eternity or is it better than that and I, I think what you'll see in the next two chapters of Revelation is that it's way better than that In fact, one of the things is that it's it's not going to be clouds. Well, the description that we're going to see here of heaven is a city. So there's one thing at least, that our forever home will be with God in a city. And by the way, one thing before we jump into this series, God wants us to know these things. God has told us about heaven so that we would know them. I think sometimes maybe we get this sense about us like, oh, no, no, I don't don't need to think about heaven, I've got it... Good, good here. I'm sure it'll be good, but I still don't need to think of it. No, God has put heaven in the Bible so that we could know about it. And I think one of the reasons it's there is to give us hope. Hope is something that we, we cling to now, something we don't have yet, but that we wait for. And this hope of heaven should strengthen us for our time here. So that's really what I want us to get out of these next uh, four sermons is worship to God, but then also hope in what we have to come. And my sermon today, we're going to look at the first eight verses of chapter 21. As I've been thinking about it this week, I've just been noticing how beautifully all these themes of the Bible, these, these themes that have been popping up all over the place in the Bible, are coming neatly to a fulfillment in Revelation. So that's, that's kind of where I'm headed today. In fact, the theologian Grant Osborne says of these two chapters, the whole Bible has pointed to this moment. So all, all the other stuff of the Bible has pointed ahead to this moment that we get to look at today. And as we, sh- as we walk through this passage again, I want to show you some of the themes of the Bible that are coming perfectly to fulfillment here. Let me start off by reading Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. So we've got right here, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband so in these first two verses we get a description of what the apostle John saw remember the book of Revelation is visions given to the apostle John and he wrote them down for us and here he tells us what he saw he saw a new heaven and a new earth and there was no longer any sea back in chapter 20 we learned that that earth and sky fled from the presence of God could you imagine that Could you imagine being the Apostle John and seeing... I I can kind of picture Earth fleeing from the presence of God, but can you picture what it means for the sky to flee? So they had fled away, and now there is a new Earth and a new heaven. And it says here that there was no longer any sea. And then in verse 2, it talks about this holy city, and it talks about how it was prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So here we have two metaphors. We have bride and and we have city. And both of those are relationship terms. And isn't it interesting that perhaps the the very first thing that was broken when Adam and Eve sinned was relationship. Think about that. Relationship with God was hindered. They used to live in paradise with God. They had an unhindered relationship with God. And when they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. And eventually, God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden and the relationship with God was severely damaged. And not only the relationship with God, but Adam and Eve's relationship with each other was damaged as well. And we have been living in the midst of those damaged relationships ever since then. So, here in Revelation 21, we see some restoration. We see the the perfect place where we will live forever will be with God, and the relationship will be restored. First and foremost, our relationship with God, but then secondly also, our relationships with each other. And by the way, that's the number one thing I'm looking forward to in heaven is a perfect relationship with God where my sin no longer gets in the way and I get to see him for who he is and live in the perfection of that. And I think the second thing that I'm looking most forward to in heaven is restored relationships with each other where, where my sin doesn't get in the way of our relationship and yours doesn't either. Your sin doesn't either. So, perfect relationships in heaven. Now, so far what we've seen in verses 1 and 2 is what the apostle John saw. And I bet he was overwhelmed at what he saw. And I bet he had a little bit of a hard time describing it. But then thankfully in verses 3 through 8, it's not just what John saw. Heaven is described to John in those verses. And I want to read those for you, starting in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said I am making everything new then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true he said to me it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end to him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So again, I want to point out now some of the themes of the Bible. These themes that have been popping up all throughout the Bible, and they now come to perfect conclusion. We... Damaged by sin that came into the world, have longed for these things to be made right, and in these verses God promises to make them right. So the first theme that I want to address is this one here in Revelation 21:3, the theme of God dwelling with man. I want to reread what it says here. It says, "Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now there's so much in that verse that I could spend hours just talking about that verse. In fact, I did that. Remember last year we did this God with us series? I think it was like nine sermons that I preached on it. So uh, I'm going to really limit myself today into what we can say about this. But just know that this is, this is one of the biggest themes in the Bible, God's heart to dwell with his people. And first I want to point out that word dwelling there in verse 3. Um, the word dwelling. When you hear that word, you probably think about home. So let's think about that word home in relationship to God, that, that place where we can dwell with him. And again, think back to the Garden of Eden. So Adam and Eve had perfect, unhindered relationship with God. It was home to them in every way. Every need of theirs was taken care of. And don't forget that they had that perfect relationship with God. But we know what happened. They sinned. They were kicked out. That relationship with God was damaged. But... As we move on through the pages of the Old Testament, we see God's heart's desire to restore. And one of the ways that we see that is that God brought about the tabernacle first and then the temple. And the word tabernacle, by the way, is the same word as the word for dwelling. So have you ever noticed, as you've read through the Old Testament, that there's a whole lot in there about the tabernacle and the temple and how they should be built and what should go on there and what the people should do there? I've heard it's the single largest subject in the Old Testament. But why? Have you ever asked yourself, why are so many pages of the Old Testament written about what the tabernacle and the temple are and what should happen there? Well, the answer, simply, is that those are the places that God chose to dwell with his people. In Exodus twenty-five, twenty-two, God told Moses how to construct the tabernacle and its furnishings, and after he did that, after he told Moses how to do that, he told Moses that he, God, would meet with his people there. So isn't that amazing? This relationship that Adam and Eve had broken, now God was bringing about some restoration in the tabernacle, in this tent that they would bring along with them wherever they would go, and God would meet them there. And then very similar things could be said about the temple. The temple was just a a more permanent structure than that, that tent, than that tabernacle was, but the same concept was there, that God would meet with his people there and then moving on uh, in Ezekiel 37 we see these verses where we hear about God's heart for the temple and part of this is looking forward to to future references about the temple but he said there I will put my sanctuary among them forever my dwelling place will be with them I will be their God and they will be my people do you see the similarity between that verse and Revelation 21-3 that we just read God's dwelling place with his people God being their God and they being his people and then there's even more as we move forward into the New Testament we see a verse in John 1.14 where it talks about Jesus it calls him the word it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us Um, perhaps you've heard a translation of this where it says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us because that's what was going on there so it in the Old Testament the, the closest relationship they had with God was in the temple but when Jesus came something new happened and Jesus offered us that that close relationship with God if we know him and as the New Testament talks about then we can receive Jesus and in John chapter 14 it talks about how God makes his home in us and that's true even after Jesus uh, died and rose again and went to heaven because we now have the Holy Spirit living in us So. That's where we are up to September 18th, 2016. That God has desired to have this with relationship with his people. And we have it now in Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, yet we still live with the effects of sin in this world. So there's still a longing within us and everyone has this. Every single human being has this longing for things to be made right. Who here knows that the world is not perfect? Raise your hand if you know that. Okay? And if you long for things to be better, well, that's the very next stage. Again, right now we have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ in our hearts, the Holy Spirit living in us. God lived with us. Yet we await for the final fulfillment of this with relationship, and it's shown to us in Revelation. And I want to put that Revelation 21.3 verse back up there now, and just show you this. Again, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. Three times in that verse, we see the word with. With. Uh, I did a study on this and I I found over 200 places in the Bible where God's heart's desire is shown and that he wants to be with his people. God has always wanted us. And one of the best ways, perhaps, to think about that is in one of the names of Jesus. Remember the name Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, there was a prophecy that talked about God being with his people. And in Matthew 123, we see that prophecy fulfilled. It says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's what God is doing to restore this relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden God brought Jesus to us so that in a very real sense, Jesus walked around with us, but in a a very real sense as well, we can have a forever relationship with God. That is what our hearts have truly always longed for. We may have thought that our hearts would long for something else, for pleasure, for satisfaction, for whatever it might be, but what our hearts have truly longed for is a restoration of a relationship with God where we live with Him face to face and we'll get to be with Him forever. And that is what God will bring about. Our sins are forgiven in Jesus and we are brought back into a with relationship with God. And again, I just want to put a Revelation 21, 3 back up on the screen again. I, and I just, I, sometimes I feel like as your pastor, one of the best things I can do is just put scripture up there and let you read it. So I want you all just in the quietness of your own seat there, read that verse. For those of you that can't read, I'll read it. (laughs) Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. God will restore. He will restore us into the relationship that we have always wanted with Him. And that happens through Jesus Christ. I think the biggest blessing in the Bible is the blessing of God with us. It's a blessing that we, in a very real sense, do experience now, but it's also a blessing that awaits its final fulfillment in what we see here in Revelation 21. And God will bring it to come about. Perfect fulfillment. And as if that weren't enough, he goes on to tell us in verse 4 of another amazing blessing. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the part of the sermon now where I want to make you cry, okay? So, um, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Think about that. I want want you each to come up with something from your life. Was it the death of a loved one? That's that's one of the worst things that can happen. Is it an illness or an injury? Perhaps maybe it's even something that you're going through right now. Or was it a, a broken relationship? Perhaps a divorce? or perhaps a a strained relationship with someone where it just did not go the way that you wanted it to. We have all had to put up with a lot of junk in our lives, but please know this. God has seen it, and he will perfectly take care of it. He has seen our pain and kept a record of our tears. He will comfort us. Our Abba Father will once and for all wipe away all of those tears he loves you and if you are in Christ there is a promise that all of that will finally be comforted now for those of you that are parents you know that, that one of our jobs as parents is to comfort our kids and I love being able to comfort our kids that if one of them is crying I love to be able to say here come and sit down with me I'll put my arm around you and just tell you it'll be okay and I love those times when that works and trust me there are times when it doesn't work we still live in a fallen world here but I love being able to bring that comfort to our kids. And sometimes I think we need to see God that way as our Abba Father, that we can crawl into his lap. That even, even though this promise awaits the future, there, there's still a part of it that, that we can embrace now. In um, the first part of is it, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, I get them confused. I just looked this up. But God is called the God of all comfort. And he will comfort us even now. God will take care of the things that go wrong here. And as part of what we see in Revelation 21.4, he will take care of death and mourning and crying and pain. Those things are part of the old order, or or what we call now. But God will take care of those things because they will pass away. They will be no more. In heaven, those things will be gone. In fact, much of what we see in Revelation 21-22 through is a reversal of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, just a little homework assignment here. Um, You will not be disappointed if you do this one. This one was given to me as a homework, actually as an in-class assignment in seminary, and it has ever since that day enhanced the way that I look at the Bible. So here it is. Read Genesis chapters 1 through 3, and then read Revelation chapters 21 through 22. So read the first three chapters of the Bible, and then the last two. And then on a piece of paper, put two columns lined on the middle and put similar on one side and different on the other. And what you will see is that there are things that are the same about those two places that God will bring in eternity. And there are some things that are different because Genesis 3 is where things got all messed up. But God will restore those things. And is creating a place where, as it says in verse 5, he says... I am making everything new. Isn't that awesome? I am making everything new. It's a guarantee from God. Now, this word guarantee has been cheapened in our society. Sports figures all the time are making guarantees. Those of you that are older than me, didn't it used to be rare? Like, I think Joe Namath made a guarantee and everybody was like, whoa, he's guaranteeing a victory. And now, like every other day, sports figures are making a guarantee that they're going to win. And, uh, I feel like their guarantees are about 50%. I mean, it's about as good as flipping a coin. That's what a guarantee is now in the world of sports. Or you think about if you go to the store and you get a guarantee. Um, they're not guaranteeing that that product will work. They're just saying that they'll give you your money back if it doesn't work. Do you see the difference there? They could be selling you a piece of junk, but they'll give you your money back when it doesn't work. That's no guarantee. But look at what God says here. He says, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Our God is telling us what will happen, and you can take it to the bank. And again, it's it's meant to give us hope. It's meant to strengthen our souls for right now, that as we live in the midst of this yuck here, God will make everything new. Guaranteed. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. It is done, meaning God will bring this to completion. It's another guarantee. And then he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. You probably know this, but those are the the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. And then he goes on to call himself the beginning and the end, which is pretty similar. Uh, Although when he says the word beginning there, perhaps it's meant to remind us that he is the one who created in the beginning. Remember the the very first words in the Bible, in the beginning, God, he was there, he already existed. And and that's one of the great reasons that we can worship him as God. We talked a little bit about this at our evening worship service last Sunday. Um, But I, I would like to remind you that one of the things that makes God worthy of worship is that he is the God who has always existed. That the universe exists and we exist because of him, because he was already there. He didn't show up after the universe was here. He is the God of it all, the creator of it all, and he is worthy of our worship at the beginning. But then also he's the end, and, and this word end is maybe a little bit more than just the last of something. The word end can also mean the purpose or the goal. And the way that I like to think of it is that God is the purpose, for our existence. We were created for him, like it says in Colossians 1. We exist not just because he created us, but because he has plans for us and he wants to bring all of humanity to its desired purpose. I think that's pretty neat, that God is the goal of our existence. And and a verse that we talked about at the evening worship service that might help you understand that is in Acts 17, where uh, the Apostle Paul was telling us that God put us where he wanted us. the the verse right before this one that's up on the screen tells us that God designed the boundaries and the times that we should live in. So if you've ever wondered, why was I born where I was and when I was? The answer is because God put you there. And then this verse tells us why. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So you exist when and where you exist so that you would seek God. And when you seek him, you will find him because he is not far from each one of us and he wants us to find him in Jesus Christ. Or like it says in Revelation 21.6, to him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. It's an invitation, just like Jesus said, seek and you will find. Here's an invitation to come and drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus is the living water and any sinner can come to Jesus. I hope you know that. I hope you know that whatever you have done you can come to Jesus and receive eternal life. Let's move on to verse 7. It says, He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. That word overcomes again is the word that means victorious. We've seen it a lot in Revelation. We can only overcome in Christ. So this is, this is not something where you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is overcoming by faith in Jesus Christ. And then we get to inherit all of this. And this is another one of those themes that's been running all throughout the Bible, this theme of inheritance. Uh, we were talking about this in Sunday school, and um, I, I've mentioned in my sermons as well that some of the descriptions, some of the metaphors in the Bible are more feminine, like the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ, not just you women, but we men as well. It's a metaphor, okay? It doesn't have anything to do with us being male or female here. It's just is a metaphor that we will live in a marriage-type relationship with Christ. And then here, it's more masculine, because in, in the day that the book of Revelation was written, inheritance was a male sort of a thing, that the, the father would pass his inheritance on to his son that it would be portioned out to his sons. Now, it's for you women as well that you also will be included in this. It's just using that description of inheritance. And let's think about that language of inheritance a little bit. God has an inheritance for his son. So let's, first of all, think about the inheritance that God has for his son, Jesus Christ. What kind of eternal home do you think that God the Father is preparing for God the Son. Do you think that that would be a good place? When Jesus was here on earth, he was talking about wanting to go back to that inheritance, and the word that Jesus used to describe it was glory. So again, we have this caricature in our minds of harps and clouds and boringness, but Jesus' description of it, wanting to go back there, his description was glory. Or think of it this way. Have you ever really wanted to give a good gift to one of your children? Every once in a while, you know, sometimes we parents, we miss it. Like, oh, I thought you would have liked that. I'm sorry, you didn't. But every once in a while, we get a good idea. And have you parents ever had the joy of giving one of those gifts to one of your children? Uh, I want to tell you about a gift that I gave to my son, Josiah. He's at camp right now, but um, he was really getting into basketball, and I thought it would be fun to be able to, to take him to a Timberwolves game. So one Christmas, that was, that was part of the Christmas present I gave him was that I was going to take him, just him and me, to a Timberwolves game. We were going to drive down to Minneapolis and go. And he was really excited about it. So the day that it came, it was, uh, there was no school the next day, so we, we knew we were going to stay up late. He was really excited about that. We both put on our Andrew Wiggins t-shirts, and we, we got in the car, and we, we started down the highway, and he was really excited. And, as we got closer to Minneapolis, I told him that I had kind of picked out a special place for us to eat, a little place I like to call Taco Bell. And, and he, he, was, he was pretty excited about that, although it's really me that likes Taco Bell. So as we're pulling off the interstate, and I'm getting really excited for my tacos, he says, there's an IHOP. Can we go to IHOP? And I'm, I'm like, yes, we can go to IHOP. So, he loves pancakes, uh, he, he's really good at making them, but I think what he really loves is eating them. So, we went to IHOP, and I don't remember what I had, but I remember what he had. He had one of those where they give you five pancakes, and they also have the five syrups there, so you know what he did. He'd, each, each pancake had its own syrup, and the rest of his meal was spent ranking the syrup in order of how much he liked. And he liked them all, but it was just really fun for him. And we hadn't even been to the game yet, and this was, all this fun stuff was happening. Then we get to the game, and that was fun. It came down, I think, to the last second to see who the Timberwolves lost, of course. Um, but um, <laughs> it was still it was fun. And um, then on the drive home, you know, I had to stop for gas, and Josiah was like, "Can we get a snack?" like yeah we can get a snack so we got slushies for the drive home and he got to stay up late and I think he fell asleep at about midnight but uh, I enjoyed giving that gift to my son now do you think that our heavenly father is going to be worse at giving gifts than I am I don't think so in fact Jesus told us there's a verse in, in Matthew where Jesus said uh, I think I've got this here how much more will your Father in Heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask Him? You see, there is an inheritance for Jesus Christ, and amazingly, this is, a, this is truly mind-boggling if you were to think of it, we get to share in the inheritance with Jesus Christ. Because we are adopted into the family of God, not as just the, uh, the wicked step. Daughter or stepson. We are adopted as children of God. Look at how it said in Romans 8, verses 15 through 17. If I, could, I think my clicker's not working here, so if I could get those on the screen. It says, You receive the spirit of sonship, or that's the word adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, and look at this. This is amazing. Co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Again, the, the inheritance that God is preparing for His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, is an inheritance in which we get to share. Now it does go on to say, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That word sufferings remind us that that we go through stuff here, bad stuff. But God is preparing an inheritance that we will get to share with Jesus Christ. But not everyone will get to receive that inheritance because as we move on to verse 8 of our passage today, it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the place you do not want to go. We learned in chapter 20 that this is the place reserved for Satan. And God will send the followers of Satan there as well. So, you don't want to be any of the things on this list. And if there's any of those things that are true of you, I would just like to remind you to repent of them. Okay? They should not be in your life. But I want to just point out two of those words. The first word I want to point out is the word unbelieving. That word means exactly what you think it means. It means those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. We're supposed to put our faith in Christ, give our whole heart, our whole life to him. That's what it means to believe in him. Some people don't live like that. They reject Jesus, and therefore they will not get, on, get in on the inheritance with him. But then that word cowardly in the first line, there. I, I wondered this week, why does it start with the word cowardly? And and thankfully, I was able to read some commentaries this week that helped me with it. A coward is somebody who does not live the way that he knows he should live because he's scared to. You think about whether that means you know that you should stick up for one of your friends, but you don't do it, or you know what's right, but it's going to cost you something, so you don't do it. The cowardly are those people who know that God is the creator who know that we should seek God and when we seek him we'll find Jesus but the cowardly come up with some excuse not to they think that maybe their life will be better if they just cower in the corner and try to just cling to whatever life they can get for themselves see, in that sense maybe you could say it takes a little bit of courage to believe in Jesus the courage of knowing that my life will be better if I give my life to God instead of trying to hold on to it for myself And at the end of this verse, we see the end result for those who have not put their faith in Jesus. Again, it's the fiery lake of burning sulfur. It's a stunning contrast to verse 4, where we see that there will be no more death in heaven. So it's two options, either life or death. And God offers us life without cost. Any sinner, like I said before, can come to Jesus and can receive complete forgiveness. And if so, the second death will not touch them. But for those who reject Jesus, there will be eternal consequences. All throughout the Bible, God has been showing us this offer of life. Okay, again, so many of the themes in Revelation 21 are tying up the themes throughout the Bible. So I want to show you two places in the Bible, one in each testament where we see an offer of life. The first one is in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, where it says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses, Now choose life. Basically, it's God saying, why would you go into death? Why would anybody go into death when God is offering life? And then the New Testament, perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, of course. I want to just point out the word whoever. The offer of life is for whoever would believe in Jesus, whoever would put their trust in Him, give their life to Him, commit to follow Him. Don't be among the cowardly or the unbelieving. So if there are any of you here who are just unsure whether you've ever given your life to Jesus, just do it now. Tell them that you don't want to live your life your own way. By faith, receive Jesus as Savior, as the one who forgives your sins, and give your life to him, to follow him forever. He will rescue you from death. But then, for those who have already received Jesus, there are a couple of things that I want to close with today by way of application. You see, we're not in heaven yet. So, much of what we've been talking about today tells us what will be true for us in heaven. But remember, it's there to give us hope now. So I think that it, as I close this sermon, I, I just want to remind you of a couple of things that I think can give us hope and can strengthen us as we wait for that time when our relationship with God will be perfect and face-to-face. So two things. Application number one, do life with God now. As I said earlier, the biggest blessing in the Bible is the blessing of God with And that is a blessing that we can live in even now. Yes, we await the perfect fulfillment of it in heaven, but even now we can have this with relationship with God in our hearts by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk with God. That is God's heart's desire for us. And I'd just like to say to you that if God feels distant from you, seek Him. You think about a human relationship. Have you ever, ever had a friendship where you look at it like, oh boy, we're just not as close as we used to be. Well, do you know what you could do? You could pick up the phone and call. We know that, right? That would, that would help our relationships with people that have become distant. <coughs> Similarly with God, there are things that we know that we can do that will help us feel close to Him. We can seek Him. We can open up our Bible and read. We can pray. We can sing worship songs. We can put ourselves in fellowship with other believers. And all of those things, if we do them by faith, as an act of worship, will, I think, bring us closer to God. We will, we will know His presence with us as we do those things. And I understand, sometimes it feels difficult. Sometimes it may feel like God is not responding to you the way that He should. I would just urge you to keep seeking Him because He promises to be with us even now. The promise of Emmanuel is a promise for us now. Yes, it awaits perfect fulfillment later, but we can live in the truth of it even now. And I want to urge you to keep seeking God. And it's amazing that God knows all of our mess and still wants to be with us. Then application number two, cast all your anxieties and worries on God. First Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now there will come a day when death is no more and crying and pain and mourning will be gone too. There will come a day when we'll walk with God in a perfect face-to-face relationship and we will know for sure that He perfectly takes care of everything. But until then, please know that He does see what troubles you. The fact that He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes means that He knows what every one of our tears is all about. And even though we have to wait for that perfect fulfillment of that later, we can know still that God is the God of all comfort, even now. And you can trust Him to take care of it. Eventually, like I said, everything will be perfectly taken care of, but until then, you can trust that He will give you the comfort and the strength that you need right now. Comfort, He'll be with you. Sometimes that's the most comforting thing that we can have, is just somebody to be with us in our difficulty. And that's exactly what God has promised for you right now. And God will also strengthen us for whatever he allows us to go through. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. That's why he told us in Isaiah 40 that those who trust in him will renew their strength like we will will soar on wings like eagles. That's God's promise for us as we trust in him now in the midst of difficulties. But in all of this, let's keep walking with the God who loves us and promises a perfect future to his children. His heart's desire is to be with his children. Not just to set us on some cloud and give us a harp, but to be with us. That's his heart's desire in eternity. And we can live even as we wait for that perfection. We can live in the truth of a God-with-us relationship now continuing to seek Him, trusting Him with whatever comes our way. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your heart's desire to be with us. Thank You for how You will make everything new. How we, the human race, messed up our relationship with You and continue to mess it up through our sin, but You sent Jesus to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to invite us into a relationship with You. A relationship that will last forever and will one day be perfect But God, until then, we pray that we would keep seeking you, that we would trust in you, even when difficulties come our way. We pray that we would cast our anxieties before you and trust that you are the God of comfort and the God who will strengthen us to walk with you. Thank you, God, for telling us what will come. We look forward to that. We want to be with you forever, God. Help us to rejoice in the fact that we get to be with you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.